Welcome to the Librarian Influencers Podcast. Each week, our host, Dr. Laura Shinneman, dives deep into school library topics to help you build your skills and take charge of your own professional development. Her mission is to create an environment where librarians flourish and become lifelong learners. Now, on to today's podcast. I'd like to welcome Steve Tatro to the Librarian Influencers Podcast. And Steve, it's such a pleasure to have you here today. I've, I've seen you for a long time on Twitter and to actually get to talk with you in person now is quite an honor. So welcome to the show and, and thanks for being here with us today. Thank you. The honor is all mine. I mean, it's, uh, you know, this is not a uh, small step for a lot of people. And I really appreciate you asking me to come on and getting a chance to talk to folks. That's good. All right. So give us a little bit of background of of your time in education and and what's your relationship with libraries? Sure. So um, I've been an English teacher since 1998. And uh, I actually ended up going through an administration program um, starting in the early 2000s um, and taking me through the... (laughs) 2010s, it was uh, quite a process, mm-hmm. but um, I ended up getting the terminal degree in uh, administration supervision. I got my doctorate in that. Okay. And by the time I actually got to that point, administration had really shifted um, in a really amazing way. That was when, you know, No Child Left Behind was really getting big and mm-hmm. accountability and testing and data started becoming really the main focus. And to my mind, educational leadership was no longer about being an educational leader and being able to sort of drive the learning that was going on in the school. Mm-hmm. And it sort of became more about management and, you know, scores and tests. And for me, that's not what education is about. Um, so I kind of left that, those degrees sort of by the side and, and continued on as an English teacher. And um, I actually ended up going into uh, librarianship after my middle school librarian was getting ready to retire. And he said, hey, I know you've, you know, sat, you've sat in a couple of times in the library, you've, you know, covered for me, you really seem to like it. Is this something you want to do? And I was like, absolutely. So he said, well, you know, I got a couple of years, maybe you want to start working on your degree. So I jumped into the Rutgers program and went to get my MI, get my uh, license. And of course, as soon as I got close to finishing that program, they shuttered my school's library and turned it into labs. And so I haven't been able to jump into the school library yet, but I'm really hoping that uh, next year is going to be the year. So I got my fingers crossed. <laughs> but and I, I know, so you haven't been in a library, but I know that you're still involved in the library world. So tell us a little bit about like what, what you do um, as far as school libraries go. Sure. Um, I mean, I personally think that school libraries are probably the most important part of the educational landscape these days. Um, So I really try to keep my hand in in a lot of different ways. I'm um, the member at large for uh, New Jersey Association of School Librarians in JASIL. I have helped plan the spring conference last year. Um, Looking forward to planning the spring coming up. Um, And I am on Twitter quite a bit trying to push as many literacy related and school library related ideas as I can. Um, I do a little bit of writing for um, Knowledge Quest. I've got a monthly blog post that I do for them. And, you know, really, I just try and get as many people as possible to realize school libraries are really important. And let's make sure that we are giving them the due that they deserve. Yeah, I love that. Um, thank you so much for, for being a, a huge advocate um, for, for them. That's just awesome. Okay, so I know that um, you haven't been in the library and I typically ask people like, what were your first couple of years like? But but I, I know you did do some, was it like subbing 
work? In I did some subbing and I also did um, a semester of field work in my okay. middle school library. So okay. I got to pretty much run the library for a semester, which was yeah. great. That's neat. So what was that like for you? Oh, it was amazing. It was such a great experience. Um, I got to bring in student volunteers and we had a whole system going and uh, it was it was outstanding. Um, the kids were really engaged. We increased the uh, number of checkouts, uh, increased our circulation numbers, um, brought in some new materials. I was able to order some stuff and it was really just, it was really heavenly. <laughs> we also ended up doing a whole bunch of weeding um, and that was quite a process because the school was built in uh, 1958. Okay. And it was a brand new school, brand new library, put in all the latest books from 1958 and didn't update any of them since then, pretty much. Oh, uh, they added stuff here and there, but there was stuff literally from the 1950s, 1960s. And um, so when we were doing the, the weeding process, it was kind of fun to see like, oh yeah, we've got, you know, pop star series and they had like Pat Benatar as the big pop star. And I was like, oh boy, okay. And one of my favorites was Cole, the rock that burns. That one just still cracks me up. My wife and I, I've got a picture of it on the wall just because it's so crazy. Like that was a big book, Cole, the rock that burns. And the whole section on the USSR, like literally about 30 books on the USSR. I was like, wow. maybe we don't need these anymore. So that was, uh, it was quite an eye-opening experience to see some of the things that can build up in a library. Right. And I mean, it also gave you the big picture of, of, of seeing um, how libraries can be ignored, you know, in a lot of, a lot of decades, you know, there were times when there was like very little funding at all. And I'm, I'm hoping right now with a lot of the, the ESSER money, you know, that is out there from the government, um, I'm hoping that school libraries get, you know, a, a piece of that at least so they can try to start catching up because, you know, really you can never totally catch up, you know, the, yeah. just, I mean, you'd have to have some amazing grant. <laughs> you know, yeah. Well, there's always more great books than there are, you know, shelf space for them. And as mm -hmm. soon as you get something new, mm -hmm. something even newer comes along. So it's, it's a constant churn. I, I totally hear you on that, that those ESSER funds, fingers crossed, are going to get some good use. I know, definitely. Okay. So I know you're, you're not in the library yet, but when you're thinking about um, your passion for libraries and like where your career is taking you now, what kind of advice would you send to your, your younger self? Man, if I could go back in time and just go straight to school libraries instead of taking the detour through administration that I took, um, it was administration. The classes were very valuable. There's a lot of things that I learned that have helped me both as an educator in general and as a teacher specifically. But man, I, I really wish I had listened to my interests more mm -hmm. and gone with the, the thing that I really love because I just I spend so much time in the public library. Um, I never had a really good school library in my educational process. Yeah. And having seen some of the amazing school libraries that are out there now, thanks to the MI program I went through at Rutgers, mm -hmm. it just makes me realize how much students can miss out on. Mm -hmm. And I really wish I had been a little more conscious of that, both as a career path and just as a general piece of educational knowledge, knowing that school libraries can be so powerful and can support literally everybody in the school. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of times, you know, we'll, we'll focus advocacy on, on the kids, you know, and we'll say, you know, it's for the kids, for the kids. But I, I know one thing that had jumped out to me, you know, years ago when I was in school was how much the teachers missed out. 
Um, and that was because most of my experience too was not in a uh, with a certified school librarian, you know, mm-hmm. when I was a teacher. And so I, I wasn't getting to see the power of what could happen. And when I was in library school, I was like, oh my gosh, I've missed out on so much. You know, of course the kids I've you know missed out, but so did I. You know, I could have been doing things a whole lot differently. <laughs> yeah. Well, and that's one of the things that to sidetrack for one second, when I was in the administration program. I, I cannot recall any point in that I spent almost 10 years in that program where we talked at all about school libraries mm-hmm. and it just, it boggles my mind to look at how out of step that is with what administration could be doing and should be doing. Yeah. Because I mean, school libraries are, I, I wrote a, a knowledge quest post not too long about, about how school libraries are the silver bullet of education. And mm-hmm. When administrators are looking for low-cost ways to improve student outcomes and improve teacher um, material retention and teacher learning and professional development, school libraries. I mean, one-stop shop that does all of the things administrators would love to have done, but there's not a lot of recognition of that in programs, which I think is a real crime. Yeah. And every now and then, you know, like I do teach graduate school and I'll hear from different professors at different places, you know, across the, the America, they'll talk about they wish they could get in, you know, to those admin classes and be able to share something, but they just haven't found the way yet. So yeah. maybe, maybe that can be your thing is <laughs> that you figure out that connection since you, you know you're from that world. <laughs> Here's <Yeah>. hoping. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So when when y'all started back this fall, um, what kind of things did 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 you get going and did you find kind of helpful um, for, for being back? And I'm going to assume you're face-to-face, you know, at this point. Um, yep. We are. Um, it was a pretty big adjustment because we were, the students were out for the first half of last year. Okay. And then I was out for the second half of last year. I was virtual with the students. So I really wasn't face-to-face with anybody last year. So coming back in this year has been a real adjustment for everybody. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's really... Um, it's, it's, it's been a lot. I mean, the kids are not used to being in school. And one of the things that I have been trying to get them to do is find the things that make them happy. And of course, to me, that's a book. (laughs) And so I'm really pushing independent reading. Um, I try to do um, first chapter Fridays every time I've got them on a Friday. Um, We've got independent reading time at the beginning of every class. And a colleague and I have been talking about doing a um, school-wide, like take a book, leave a book. Sort oh, of a yeah. Yeah. And we're really excited about the concept where we're still work, working through some of the details. Um, but, you know, we know that we've got some kids who read a ton right. and they literally will go and buy a stack of books, read them all, and then throw them out or give them to somebody else or sell them at a garage sale. Mm-hmm. And then we've got other kids who don't have those same resources, even to be able to get to the library to borrow stuff. Right. And so don't have a library in the school anymore. It's that much more of a burden to like get down the road to where the public library is. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we're really hoping that we can get that, take a book, leave a book going so right. that kids do have access. And hopefully that's going to create a little more of a culture of reading in our school. Are you, are you a middle school or a high school? I forgot what you had said. I'm in a middle school. Middle school. Okay. Yeah. Several years. It's been over 10 years now, but um, we know a little free libraries have been around for a while, but about 10-ish years ago, um, when I had moved to a regional position that supported like eight counties, you know, we had a big conference 
but we, we challenged our high school woodshop classes to build little free libraries for us. Um, and that, that, those were actually like the door prizes, you know, while we were there. But I wonder if, if your local high school, um, because then they could bring in like the engineering and design side yeah. of it, the actual people that would be building it. Then they even passed it on to like the art classes, you know, and they painted these amazing mural kind of things on them. Um, maybe they could do something like that for you. And then it becomes like a district. <laughs> yeah, that'd be great. I mean, our middle school and high school are in a complex. So we're, we're attached. So it's not a big stretch to, you know, walk to the other side of the campus and uh, talk to some people about that. I like that. I'll have to follow up on that. That was fun. Um, and just seeing all the creativity, you know, it's just amazing. Um, anyway, but okay. All right. So that's good stuff that you're doing. So when you, um, when you're thinking about like librarians and what you want to, you know, how you want to be one one day, how would you describe um, the influence that librarians have on campuses or districts? I think librarians have the potential to be the pretty much the most important educator in the district, not to overstate the case, mm -hmm. but um, you know, it, there's really a huge potential for school librarians to be the best return on investment a district can make because you're paying one person for one position. I mean, hopefully you've got more than one school librarian, but even just going with, we've got one school librarian, that one person can support all of the students in the building mm -hmm. and all of the faculty in the building mm -hmm. and all of the administrators in the building. I mean, when you get a teacher teaching, they're going to teach a certain group of kids. Right. But they tend to be a little more isolated in, in, you know, even if they're working with colleagues in another, within the department, you don't often get a lot of cross-disciplinary sorts of things going on. School librarians literally can and should be working with everybody. Right. Um, and so I feel like there's a lot of, uh, like I said, a lot of potential for the school librarian to really be a center of the school. Um, you know, not only are they there to work with the kids and sort of encourage different ways that they can, you know, kids can be involved in literacy and technology and all the different, you know, makerspace activities, so many ways they can do that. Mm -hmm. um, but it also, the reason I think that school libraries are just so important, especially these days, is that they are a place where kids can go and just pursue learning for the sake of learning. There are I know there's a couple of uh, school libraries that have some sort of grades that they have to assign. I heard about that recently and I was a little surprised, mm -hmm. but for the most part, I feel like school libraries are not a place where kids are getting grade. Right. Uh, they're not, there's no assessment. There's not a, like a library test that you have to take. And so when kids come to the library, it's a space for them to just be themselves and mm -hmm. learn about the things they want to learn about mm -hmm. and really pursue whatever inquiry learning works for them, whether it's related to school or whether it's personal, right. it's a place for them to really find the thing that works for them in education. Mm -hmm. And to my mind, that's just the most important thing that a school can do is help a kid find the thing that they want to pursue so that they become that lifelong, lifelong learner. Right. That's awesome. And that's what, you know, I think that's what librarians do is they teach, teach kids how to learn, you know, in a sense, whether it's for personal reasons or for their academic reasons or whatever, but we're teaching them how to pursue those, find those interests and pursue those interests and explore them and then do something, do something with those interests. So yeah. Something constructive. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Steve. So um, when you're thinking about yourself as an educator, 
um, and you kind of start thinking forward to when you want to be a school librarian, how, how has your, your, your influence kind of changed as you've matured? When I came to education as an English teacher, I really came into it with a very specific mindset of I am going to measure and rate and rank these students on their ability to understand things. Mm -hmm. And it was, that was the tradition that I came from. And I was replacing a teacher who had that same philosophy. Mm -hmm. And so I felt like, you know, this is, this is what I'm meant to do. This is how this works. This is how I've always seen it go. And while I've always felt like reading was one of the most important parts of the educational process, I was really looking at it from a sort of a testing and retention sort of a, a place. Mm -hmm. And in the 20 plus years that I've been doing this, I've really started to look at things from a completely different point of view. Um, you know, I, I kind of look back on how I viewed things previously and I'm like, what were you thinking? How did you, how did that seem like it was a good idea? Yeah. Um, you know, really trying to focus more on just trying to get kids to be interested and curious and want to learn because you can't force them to learn stuff. Mm -hmm. So it really becomes less about, you know, I don't know that measuring and ranking and rating students helps them in any way. It's not really useful to the educational system, particularly. What we really should be trying to do is get kids to love learning. Yeah. And, you know, that's, one of the things that when I went through the um, school library program, it really made me see just how different education really could be if that was where we were focusing. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and it, it also, I mean, in a, on a slightly different note, but school library, uh, school library school <laughs> really made me sort of see that there are so many different pieces of learning skills Mm -hmm. that students aren't getting in their core classes. Yeah. And that's not the fault of the core class teachers. You know, they, they have more than they can teach in every one of their subjects. I, I, I'm not saying that they are falling short in what they're doing, but we've entered a new age that I don't know really is reflected in a lot of the curriculum and in a lot of the ways teachers are teaching these days, because we're living in this digital world that requires so many different kinds of skills and knowledge. Um, just so many things that I don't know that regular teachers, core teachers are necessarily trained in or able to provide the instruction in. Yeah. And what school librarians learned about how to share those skills and ideas with teachers and students mm -hmm. really made me see how much of a gap there was mm -hmm. in what our students in my school were getting because they were missing this big component, this, right. this important person in the school. You're right. So right, and and that's what I think. That's what people are seeing in those places where the librarians have been removed, you know, or paraprofessionals put in, or like in your case, libraries closed. You know, mm -hmm. and those kind of gaps are going to keep keep becoming more and more apparent. Um, and that's where our big researchers really come in. With I hope, <laughs> you know, we need to keep seeing um, the research being done across the states. You know, that's that's real interesting to see things and. Um, Sometime within the last year, I, I interviewed an international, excuse me, international librarian, and even listening to him um, talk about some of the same issues, you know, the, that we face and the same kind of concerns. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is around the world. You know, it's not just um, here, you know, in, in America, but it's, it's a worldwide 
issue. So yeah. And I mean, it's, I feel like it's a perception and I think a lot of it probably comes from people's experiences with their school library. Yeah. Where it yeah. was a room you went to that had information mm-hmm. and now we've got a computer that can give us information. So right. why don't we have this room with the information anymore? But that's, that's missing so many of the important aspects of what school librarians can do. It is for sure. Yeah. And, you know, more and more, I start to see some, like, I'm going to say grad school assignments that include a lot of collaboration, but I, I and that's, of course, me seeing the library side of things, but I, I hope that the teacher side of things in education, uh, the undergrad level, I hope that they start including more and more activities or projects where they're having to partner, you know, with a librarian where they Absolutely. want to I, I hope so. Yeah. I think that'd make a big difference. Yes, it would, because then they would be bringing in, you know, those fresh fresh ideas, you know, when they're coming and joining the, the schools and hopefully we'll see, we'll see what happens. I'm, I'm hopeful. I'm very hopeful. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. All right, Steve. Well, um, one thing that, that you like talking about is, is about liter- literacy shaming. So tell us a little bit about I mean, what does that mean? Um, so right around the time that um, I was finishing up um, grad school with my, uh, MI degree, there was a conversation that came across, um, Twitter and it was something about people, um, getting made fun of for the books that they read or like people being ashamed to admit that the, I don't know why, but the classic example is t- the twilight books okay. and people just being horrified to admit that, well, I read it and I liked it, but don't tell anybody. Yeah. It, at first I saw it and I kind of laughed, but then the more I thought about it, the more I realized that's a really sort of destructive habit that we build up. And I realized that it was something that I, as a teacher, had done to students. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it was something that I saw other teachers do. It was something I saw librarians do, mm-hmm. where we tell kids that what they're reading isn't what they should be reading. And that just undercuts any sense of pride or agency the kids might have in the reading that they're doing. Yeah. So I, I got into my head that we really need to end literacy shaming. I, I called it literacy shaming because that's basically what we're doing. We're shaming kids for being literate by because they like a certain kind of by their choices. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, a lot of times, like I said, we see teachers doing this with students, but it's also, you know, students also make fun of other students for what they're reading. Um, and it's just it we see parents that say, you shouldn't be reading that, read something at a higher level, or I don't like that you're reading a graphic novel, read a a real book instead. And it's like, well, but what are you accomplishing by doing that? You know, you're not, I've never met someone who, when they were forced to do something was like, yay, I'm so glad that I was forced to do this thing. You know, that's a great way to turn kids off from reading. And so I really, really think it's important for all educators, but I think librarians are particularly positioned to be able to do something about this. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's really important that we kind of push this idea of it doesn't matter what you read as long as you're enjoying what you read, yeah. because that's how you're going to build kids who want to read. <laughs> and I, I can, I'm even thinking back, you know, my time in the library was at the elementary level. Um, and so AR was huge, you know, where I was and, um, you know, some schools around me would have like the labels on the spine, you know, so everybody knew if you were reading a first grade book, first grade level, you know, or second grade level, whatever your level was, they knew. Yeah. Uh, but I loved being able to change the conversation to um, 
twisting that a little bit like oh you're taking this book who are you going to read it to at home you know who like there's other reasons to check out a book you know besides reading for a test or whatever so mm-hmm. I was trying to I just even having those kind of conversations where you're um building that reading culture you know that the kids are going to be reading for all kinds of different reasons um but then just giving them a legitimate reason to take a book you know that's not at their level or oh you're taking one that's like this is going to be a hard book but it's great if you let you know you're getting a horse I'm so happy for you take this book let your mom and dad help you y'all can find out about horse care you know whatever but just the, I think the way we frame our conversations with the with the kids can make a huge difference because others are listening, you know, all around. So. Oh, absolutely. And you know, I, I feel like it's it can be a delicate thing to broach, um, especially with other teachers or parents, because there's sometimes I feel like there's this expectation that if we're not pushing kids all the time that they're not going to grow or expand. Yeah. And I can, I can understand sort of the, the emotion behind that. But I think if we take a little bit of the emotion away and think about it a little more logically, I think it's, you, it becomes a little bit easier to see that if we're all we're doing is constantly pushing, then kids are not going to be comfortable and yeah. they're not going to you know, explore the things that they love. You know, Like you were saying, sometimes a kid might pick a book that somebody might say is too difficult for them, but if they're interested in the topic, they'll figure out a way to get the information they need out of that. Definitely. You know, so it's when we, when we limit them to, you have to read this level or you have to read this kind of book, mm-hmm. those, you know, trying to push them into those places. I know it comes from a place of wanting to help kids, but I, I think rather than helping it tends to be hurtful to the kids. Yeah. And so I think it becomes a little bit of a very, you know, tricky conversation to have. We've got to be kind of gentle when we talk to other adults about here's how we can, you know, try and really support their reading Mm -hmm. by just letting them do what they want to do. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, the whole, they have to read proper literature. I've had so many parents come to me and say, what classics should my kid be reading in seventh grade? I'm like, well, I mean, do they like classics? No, but I want them to start liking them. Well, (laughs) maybe they need to find their way there on their own. You know, I can give them some suggestions for things they're going to love. And, you know, that might lead them to where you want them to be. But I think we've got to try and meet the kids where they are rather than trying to push them to a place that they are not and hope that they kind of enjoy it and catch up. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And just I'm just, again, thinking about how important the collection is you know, that you, that you are offering such a wide variety of things that, that kids can ex- have that opportunity to explore and absolutely learn about all kinds of things. So yeah, good points there. All right. So for the librarians that are listening, they're maybe kind of just starting out. Um, what would you talk to them? Like how, how could they start thinking about steps they could take if they want to focus on the idea of ending literacy shaming uh, that they notice on campus? Um, you know, I think it's a, like I said, a little bit of a difficult conversation to have with the adults, but I think it's an easy one to have with students. Mm -hmm. And I think it's really simple to say things like, well, you know, you wouldn't like it if people made fun of you for whatever reason, why would you want to make fun of somebody else? Why would you want to hurt their feelings like that? Mm -hmm. Or you've got things that you really like, but not everybody likes those things, but 
people don't make fun of you for that. So, you know, we just, we let you enjoy the thing you enjoy. We can let other people enjoy what they enjoy. Mm -hmm. Um, Really pushing also the idea that, as you said, we've got this collection, we've got all these different kinds of things and let's try and help each other find the thing that really speaks to you, that you really enjoy, that makes you want to come back here as much as possible. Mm -hmm. And I think you could almost use this as sort of a, uh, almost trick teachers into hearing this message. If they come down with their students and you're, you know, doing a book talk with the kids or trying to, you know, get the kids to think about this issue a little bit, maybe the teachers are listening in a little bit. Maybe it gets them to think a little bit about what they're doing and how they're, you know, pursuing things with their students. Other times I think it can be really valuable, especially if you have started to make those connections with um, faculty members that you can maybe talk to them aside, talk to them privately. Mm-hmm. Um, Definitely, you don't want to make it into a big, you know, calling people out in front of other people. But if, especially if you feel like you have connected well with somebody and you notice that they kind of tend to push kids in a particular direction with books, it can be really worthwhile to just say, hey, you know, I noticed that you're kind of trying to get them to do this. Have you thought about, you know, here's some other things that I have that might maybe work better with kids that they might lead them to this other place that you want them to get to. Um, Even if it was like, a graphic novel collection that helps lead them to a classic, you know, a, a text version of a classic mm-hmm. because there's so many great adaptations now in graphic novels, everything, yeah. you know, and kids, I mean, it's graphic novels are hard to keep on the shelf. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if somebody's pushing in a particular direction, maybe we try and find here's an alternative that might help get the kids on the path that you want them to be on without necessarily having to try and drag them kicking and screaming there. <laughs> yeah. And, and just you know, the other day, I, I even remember somebody was talking about how they had um, just the displays they put up, you know, like even of the teacher's photos with them, with, with um, I think she makes little mini book covers of what they're currently reading. You know, she, and she has that kind of thing in her library windows and she'll feature kids, you know, too, from time to time. But even just letting that letting that be a model of you know the great variety of the, that people read, um, even as an adult, you know I'm still going to read kids stories or young adult novels or whatever you know I, that we can enjoy everything at any age. You know? Absolutely, <laughs> uh, absolutely. It's to be that way, you know. As I love those when when people do the um, here's what teachers are reading. Yeah. I also saw this really neat idea of um, putting together um, on a rotating basis a shelf of books that this particular teacher liked and having different teachers kind of take it over for different weeks or different months. Yeah, that's cute. And just pulling a whole bunch of different stuff from across the library and saying, here's a bunch of stuff that I've read that I've liked. And it kind of gives the kids, not only does it let them connect with the teachers or the librarian a little bit more, Mm -hmm. it also gives them sort of a hook to Mm -hmm. talk to that educator about, oh, you like this? I like this too. And maybe that opens up a conversation about materials and inquiry and learning about that thing that might otherwise have gotten missed. So I thought that was a neat idea that I'm really looking forward to trying out. Yeah. I've seen where um, people do that, like with a music playlist, you know, they're going to feature this student's playlist, you know, for the day. But anyway, that's kind of like a reading playlist, you know, in a sense that you're advertising, you know, all these things at the, I like that. That's really cute. Super. I like that one too. Yeah. I thought that was a cool idea. (laughs) Very good. All right, so Steve, um, you, you've mastered a whole lot at this point. You're waiting to get into a library. Um, you're active at the state level. So how do you keep learning and getting all these new ideas for things that you write about um, in, your blog, in the Knowledge Quest or that you might tweet about? Where, where does your inspiration come from? 
I spend so much time on Twitter. Um, <laughs> there are, I, I'm not a big social media person and I actually only got onto Twitter because I was required to in my school library classes. Okay. We had to check out, we could choose whatever one we wanted, but we had to get on one. So I was like, all right, fine. I was on Twitter a little bit. I never really used it. I'll go back. I'll get back into that account. And there are so many amazing educators on Twitter. Mm -hmm. And I know that there's a lot of negative things that come up on Twitter as well, but you can really pick and choose who you're looking at and what you're looking at and find so many amazing ideas and materials. People are so generous with the things they share. It just, it blows my mind, all the things that come up. And it really helps me see a bunch of different perspectives. Um, It helps me kind of keep my hand in with different kinds of things that I might not be as up on. Um, I'm not a TikTok person, but I'm really seeing on Twitter that I need to start becoming a little bit of a TikTok person because book talk is apparently just blowing the doors off of a lot of school libraries. Um, You know, so it it just, it helps me be aware of things I might not otherwise be aware of. Mm-hmm. Um, plus I've connected with some people in on Twitter that have just been become really good friends, um, you know, that we can exchange ideas and, and, and throw out different um, materials, help each other out, support each other. So that's really been um, my main, I would say my main go-to. Um, my other huge the uh, poll in the tent is the School Librarians United podcast. Oh yes, with um, Amy Herman. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I I accidentally got into School Librarians United. Um, I had written a post for Knowledge Quest, and she had sent me an email and said, "Oh, hey, this topic was really interesting. Would you want to talk about it?" And so I listened to a couple episodes. I was like, "What have I been missing out on here? Like, there are some really amazing people talking about some awesome ideas here." Um, so that's really been for me a, a big one too, because it's something you can th- kind of throw on and, and while I'm doing other stuff, I've got my, she calls it uh, your own personalized PD that you can kind of carry around. And I love that idea. Uh, I saw that you also are on that same, same track with podcasts as great PD. And I, I love that idea. And I, I wish more librarians were taking advantage of that. Yeah. And there's not a lot of podcasts out there for school. Library. There are some but not a lot. So, you know, people who might, if you're listening right now and you have a passion for this, think about it because there's an audience out there waiting <laughs> and oh, absolutely. needing, you know, to, to be able to connect with people like that. So yeah, um, be awesome. Okay. One other, I'm sorry. No, go ahead. I was going to say one other thing that really has been changed the way I interact about school libraries is my state association. Mm-hmm. Um, getting involved with that has really helped me to connect with other people in the area and be much more aware of a lot of the things that are going on around the state. Mm-hmm. Um, and also on a, on a, on a larger level too, sometimes because it comes down to the state level and the state association is able to kind of, you know, channel some ideas or information or resources, yeah. but being part of that state association has really been a very important part of my growth as a school librarian because one of the things that it enabled me to do was go and visit other people's libraries yes see here are things that other people have done or are in the middle of or are trying out Mm -hmm. and just even seeing the different physical arrangements of the space is it can be kind of mind-blowing to just see something be like that that one thing is so simple but so brilliant. I need to bring that home, you know. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> there's there's been a lot of great um, a lot of great opportunities to work with people in the area um, that have really 
changed how I see things. So I would say those are my three main things, Twitter, podcasts, state association. Awesome. Very, very good. And you're, I'm seeing a little comment you have on there that, that is, is online PLN something different, or you're just talking about that those are great ways to build your online. Those are, yeah, those are the ways that I have built my online PLN. Um, yeah. yeah. By listening to podcasts and hearing who are the guests and then finding them hopefully on Twitter so that I can follow on Twitter and then, you know, all the other great stuff that comes across Twitter. So they kind of merge together to make a really powerful PLN. Yeah. And a lot of people's um, state associations are also on Twitter. Um, mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure your New Jersey one is. I think I've seen Jazel on there. We um, are. I'm actually now the person who's running the Njazel okay. Twitter account. So. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. so that's another way too, just to stay connected with the hot topics in your state. Um, like in, in particular right now, my state is going crazy. I'm, I'm in Texas and we're having um, parents and different groups that are coming up with a list of like over 800 books, you know, that are mm-hmm. being questioned right now. So just staying connected with people in the state who are dealing with some of the same things that you're dealing with is, is, very empowering, you know, and, and actually comforting or reassuring, <laughs> you know, as you're knowing you're not alone, you know, you're going to yeah. get through this. We actually, we've been getting some challenges going on in New Jersey too, which okay. just shocked me to no end because New Jersey tends to be pretty, you know, East coast, yeah. you know, liberal, and they've started to pop up in different places. And we actually had a brand new school librarian just got out of the program, just got into a school library dealing with a challenge. And she wrote right to Njazel and she came and said, look, you know, this is going on. I want to let you know. And if you've got some suggestions, I'll be, I'd love to take them. And we were able to kind of share some resources um, and also just be aware, you know, that was one of three or four that are going on right now. And it seems like more all the time. So another way that having that PLN is so important. Yeah, definitely. All right. Well, Steve, it's been fun uh, listening to you and getting to see you and, you know, connect virtually like this. So if our listeners want to, to follow you and learn from you and just even follow your career path, um, where will they find you online? Um, like I said, I spend most of my time on Twitter. Um, there I am at Dr. T loves books. Okay. Um, and I've also got a uh, website, which is also Dr. T loves books.com. Okay. Um, and I write in knowledge quest. Um, every month I've got a post that goes up on their online site. So people are always welcome to check out uh, pasts and uh, upcoming um, topics. Good. And so listeners, if you get to laurashineman.com and go to the blog, you'll see the show notes and these links will be there for you so that you can click and go follow him on Twitter or go visit his, his Knowledge Quest author site so you can see the different kinds of things that, that he's been writing about. Uh, but Steve, thanks for your time today. It's been a pleasure talking with you. Um, and I wish you all the best on your hunt for the perfect library. Um, to <laughs> <So>. <laughs> you take care and I'll, I'll connect with you um, at another time. It's been great talking. Bye-bye.